Good morning. Everybody doing okay? My name is J.B. Selectman, and I am your, uh, as Kevin said this morning, Brother J.B., your preacher this morning. And uh, you're looking at a guy who's been tasked to deliver the word today and whose wife has been out of town since Thursday. And I need to also tell you that I have three teenagers. And I was supposed to be on the trip, but couldn't get on the trip for a lot of reasons. And then Jamie asked me if I would preach. And I said, oh, that's why I wasn't going on the trip. I was, you need me to preach this Sunday. And then I realized, wait a minute, if my wife's going to be out of town and I'm supposed to preach and I have three teenagers, that means I'm responsible for the three teenagers. And I was doing fine until yesterday about 4.30, and I was driving my daughter around. I told her I'm like Morgan Freeman and driving Miss Sammy. And I was taking her to her seventh destination of the afternoon. And I thought, I'm not ready to preach. My blood sugar's low. I'm on Poplar. I'm in traffic. And I I kind of felt like the Lord saying, uh, just shorten your message. (laughs) So, Harvest, good morning. God loves you. The tomb is empty, the tables are open. <laughs> uh, I'm kidding, but I'm kind of not kidding. Uh, here's here's the, the purpose of the joke and the illustration of the joke. I've known for a while my wife was going out of town this weekend. It was on the calendar to Chicago. It was actually on the calendar Tuesday, last day to cancel. I was like, you sure you don't want to cancel? But I knew she was going out of town. And I knew I was going to have the kids and I knew I was preaching. And I knew it and I knew it and I knew it. But the reality of the event didn't set in until she left on Thursday. And then what I knew to be true became an actuality. And Thursday night when I got home, instead of kind of marinating and chilling, and not that I sit around and eat Doritos and watch football, but you know, I I had more work to do because of the reality that she was gone. So the event I knew that was coming actually became a reality. And then I had to work more this weekend to keep the house in order and to keep the kids fed and to brush your teeth, you know, brush your teeth and then, you know, clean up and let's get ready. And then she came home last night, praise the Lord. uh, And it did not look like a Kappa Sig house. So she was happy about that. Um, But I was looking forward to the event. And when the event happened, I had a work to do. Isn't that what the Sunday after Easter should say to us? Like I thought about it this week. Pace came out here last Sunday morning and he said, he is risen. And what'd you say back? So Sunday Easter 2.0, I should say, he's still risen. And what should you say? He's still risen indeed. And the fact of the resurrection and the fact of the empty tomb then gives the church, the reality of that event, then gives the church a work to do. Amen? Like we got a job to do. The Great Commission to make disciples, to share the gospel, to be his witnesses, to love our spouses. There's a work to do because of the reality of the empty tomb. And I've been in 1 Corinthians 15. Pace also opened last week with uh, 1 Corinthians 15. He read the gospel, verses 3, 4, and 5. And then he closed with my favorite therefore in all of Scripture, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. It says, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, because knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. It's a work text. And there's 57 verses in 1 Corinthians, 
57 verses in chapter 15. It's huge. And we're going to cover all of them today. Uh, An overview of all of them, I promise you. I'm not kidding about that one. We're going to do an overview of all of them. And I tried to shorten it. I really did. But God kept saying, no, there's four big work verses in this chapter that you, JB, and you, Saints of Harvest, the Church of Harvest, needs to know about. And I couldn't get away from them. I was sitting there Good Friday studying that last verse, verse 58, verse 58, studying the verse. I knew I was preaching, studying the verse. And the Lord literally said to me, oh, there's a few more verses in there you need to be aware of. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, there's four big ideas. And if you can look in your Bible, you can see they're split up. Uh, almost like four paragraphs, but it's much more than paragraphs. It's four big ideas. And each of the four uh, sections contains a major theme. Oh, it contains hundreds of themes. In fact, you could preach 1 Corinthians 15 for an entire year. You could at least do it really well in one month. Hundreds of themes in this chapter. But each section contains one major big idea. And then each section ends the final verse with a challenge or a charge, or a command from Paul to the church at Corinth. Each section ends with an exhortation or a challenge. Because of the empty tomb, now do this. And I couldn't get away from it. Um, I want you to stand for the reading of the word. 1 Corinthians 15. Let me say one more thing as you're standing. This letter was written to the church at Corinth. And again, it's funny to think about the church would have been meeting in a home or a, a, a group of people in a house somewhere, and maybe someone showed up or Friday night the letter came in and someone would have said, hey, what are we teaching Sunday morning? And someone would have said, well, we got a letter from Paul. You got a letter from who? We got a letter from Paul. What's it say? Well, he addresses the church at Corinth. What's it say? But Paul says this letter was written to the church at Corinth. But then he says in chapter one, this, church, this letter was written to the saints everywhere who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know what that means? If you are a saint here, this letter was written to you. This letter was written to me. This letter was written to us as the saints of Harvest Church. Amen? So we're going to do the first uh, section, 1 through 11, and then we're going to flip over to 52. This will be the the reading, then I will pray, and then we will... We will dive into it. Uh, this is a lot. It's okay. And uh, we'll pray for clarity. Um, verse, chapter 15, verse 1. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and in which you stand. We just sang that. And by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Here's the gospel. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of who are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of all the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether it was them, it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed 
Skip down to verse 53, the last of the main thoughts for number four. Four, verse 53. This perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on the immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, this is Isaiah 25, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Question mark. Oh, death, where is your sting? Question mark. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is the word of God for the people of God. And the people of God said, praise be to God. You may be seated. Father, I will echo the prayer of two of my favorite pastors. Jamie prays that your word is inspired. It is from you. It is God-breathed. And because it is from you and you are wholly true, then your word, Lord, is inerrant. It is without error. And because your word is from you and wholly true, Lord, it is authoritative in our lives and we sit underneath it. And Father, I'll also echo the prayers of Kenan that would you increase in our lives and may we decrease. Would you increase and I may decrease that Christ might be all and all in our lives today. Father, would you make it clear of our assignment as the church of God? I pray in the most precious name ever prayed, the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, four big ideas, and no kidding, we're going to go fast. So this is more of a, of a scuba dive. Like a lot of times we, uh, this is more of a snorkel. A lot of times we scuba dive into three to five verses. We're literally going to snorkel over the whole chapter this morning. But again, four big ideas ending with four challenges. And I want to start with big idea number one. And big idea number one in the first section is the gospel is true. The gospel is true. Listen to what Paul said in verse 3. He said, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Didn't we celebrate that last Sunday? Amen? He is risen. He is risen indeed. The tomb is empty. And it happened in accordance with the Scriptures. It was predicted that it was happened. And it came true. But he goes on to say in verse 5, and then he what? What's it say? Read it. Say it with me. Then he what? He appeared. He showed up. So after he came out of the tomb that we sang it last week, you were buried for three days and you walked right out again. A lot of people think he just went right back to the Father. He ascended back to heaven. But that did not happen until 40 days later. You see, in the Gospel of Luke, it says after his resurrection and before his ascension back to heaven, he appeared to his disciples over a period of 40 days. They are referred to as the post-resurrection appearances. They happened after the resurrection. So he appeared to them, and they would see him. They'd go, oh, and he would say, hey, fear not. And then he would give them a job to do. He would give them a truth. He would give them an assignment. Um, my favorite one, my favorite post-resurrection appearance uh, is John 21 when they were fishing, on the, fishing all night. Remember, they fished all night, fished all night. They didn't catch any fish. And then Jesus says, what did he tell them to do? Throw the, throw the net where? Do y'all remember? On the right side of the boat. And all of a sudden, they caught a bunch of fish. They're like, what's going on? And John goes, it's the Lord. 
He appeared to them. And I looked up what that word appeared means. Listen to this. He appeared to them. It means when they saw him, they gazed with him with wide open eyes as if looking at something remarkable. It's the Lord. He appeared to them. What was he doing? He was solidifying their faith. They knew he went to the cross. They knew he went to the grave. They thought maybe, is this an idle tale? Is this true? So he appeared to them in his post-resurrection form to solidify their faith. He appeared to them. Then it says he appeared to more than 500. Then he appeared to James. Then to all the apostles. And Paul says, and last of all, as to one untimely born, Paul said, he appeared to me. That word is used four times in the first big idea. He appeared. And let me tell you something, brothers and sisters. If you are born again, if you are saved by grace through faith, do you know what that means? That means one day he appeared to you. That's still what he's doing today. That one day you looked upon him, you gazed at him as if something remarkable, the Lamb of God that hangs in victory, that takes away the sins of the world. And, and you gazed at him and you begin to gaze, gaze away from your sins. You looked at your sins and went, ugh. And you looked at him and went, yes. And that's called being born again. He appears to the saints today and saves us. So he's appeared to us, those of us who call on his name. Now, look what it says in verse 11. Paul says, the gospel is true. Big idea number one. The gospel is true. We saw him. We gazed at him. We appeared, uh, he appeared to us. And if you believe the gospel is true, that means he has appeared to you. Now look what it says. Whether then it was I or they, those whom he appeared to, so we, circle it, preach, and so you believed. So Paul said, because the gospel is true and because he appeared to me, so I preached. Now, if you say the word preach to an American congregation, immediately, what do, we, what do we think about in our minds? Billy Graham. Seriously. Adrian Rogers. Ronnie Stevens at First Event. Sandy Wilson at Second Press. We think of, a, of, a, a, of someone standing in a pulpit preaching to an audience or a congregation. And I'm going to tell you, that's not what this word means in this text. It's the word caruso. And Paul says, so we believed, so he appeared to us, and we preached. It means we announced him or we heralded him. So it's not crowd preaching. It's going out into the world and announcing the good news of Jesus Christ or heralding the truths of God. Like Paul Revere said, the British are coming, the British are coming. He was a herald or an announcer. We should say the Lord has come and he is coming again. So because the gospel is true, Paul challenges them, says because the tomb is empty, so we should be what? Preaching. Announcing the good news, heralding the good news. Now, if you say that word again to an American congregation, I'm not being hard, I'm just being real. Um, I did this. I do this still. I said, well, I'm not a gifted evangelist. And I'm not. It's, I, I fumble all over myself. I feel like I'm trying to like talk someone into like doing something. I'm like, ugh. And we have, a gifted, we have gifted evangelists in this church. But again, this is not talking about those who have the gift of evangelism. This is talking about someone who has seen the Lord, who realizes that the tomb is empty, and who announces or heralds or publishes the truths of God in the world. Amen? Um. I've had a good idea about evangelism one time, and it's about 10 years ago. It was my favorite Easter. And I wish I could say I do this a lot. <laughs> so I had to go back 10 years to get my example. <laughs> um, 
Easter, we had a, our church service downtown 10 years ago, downtown Memphis, and we were going to be downtown, and my buddy John and I and our families thought, well, what should we do after the service? And my wife had the idea, this is her idea, to get a white poster board and to cut out a picture of an egg. And on the egg, right, he is risen. And then because she's like an engineer, she reinforced it with cardboard so it wouldn't blow in the wind. And then we went to Mud Island. We went to the banks of the Mississippi River where people walking up and down the, the paths. It was Easter Sunday about 10 years ago, 68 degrees, sunny. We had with us five Bibles from Lifeway Bookstore. Remember when you had to go to the store to buy books? Five Bibles from Lifeway Bookstore, and we had a vat of Gus's fried chicken. And here was our plan. Put the egg up. He is risen. Eat fried chicken. And if someone asked us, what does your egg mean? We were going to share the gospel. And we were going to take turns. And sure enough, people were strolling by. And there was people from all over the world downtown, you know, they, St. Jude and, and all the... And people would ask questions. And it's, it's, uh, we'd ask them, do you know what Easter means? And, and most people didn't know, so we were able to share. And it was my buddy John's turn. And uh, a guy came walking out of his apartments down the thing. And you could just tell he was just kind of disheveled and struggling. And, and John said, hey, how are you doing today? It's Easter Sunday. And the guy says, you know, I'm not doing very well. Girlfriend and I are in a fight. Down on my luck right now. Not in a good place. I'm just out here trying to clear my head. And my buddy John says, I got something that'll clear your head. Can I tell you about the cross and the empty tomb? And you know what that guy did right there? He heard the word of God and he prayed to receive Christ right there on the banks of the Mississippi River. It was awesome. Off a goofy uh, poster board and a sign that says, he is risen. We were announcing or publishing the truths of God and God saved that young man. Isn't that good? We also gave him a Bible still in the cellophane and a big plate of fried chicken. I'm not kidding. Now, that's discipleship. Like, he was like, he was like, he goes, that's funny. He goes, this is awesome. We go, you're right, it's awesome. It was awesome. He was born again. But we were, we were dropping those seeds. It doesn't have to do with you standing up and, and, and making a sermon. It's dropping the truths of God wherever you are. Amen? I have one more example. I have an index card here uh, from a member of our church. Um, and many of you know Hank and Shirley Alexander. Uh, they've been with this church since we started. We've been here 10 years. And uh, well, they were at the church when it started. And right after we started Harvest, Hank suffered a massive stroke. And he has not spoken audibly for 10 years. And I had just been with Hank. We were doing some prison ministry. He was a good teacher and he was hilarious. I loved talking with Hank. And the Lord took his ability to talk away, and it's not been restored yet. Well, Hank's in downline this year, and he's learning the Word of God and learning the Word of God and learning the Word of God every week. And a few weeks ago, he says, can I hand you this? Now, this is a man who cannot speak, hearing the Word of God. And here's what this index card says. My name is Hank Alexander. Due to a stroke, I cannot speak, but I don't want that to get in the way of sharing the Bible, and he's written out the truths of God, and he hands these out, dropping seeds, announcing the truth of God, publishing the goodness of Jesus Christ in our world. Amen? And I put this by my sink, and I went, you know what? If Hank is sharing the gospel without a voice, how much more should I be speaking the truths of God to a lost and dying world? Big idea number one, the gospel is true, the tomb is empty, so we preach. Amen? We've got a work to do, church. All right, big idea number two starts with a question. Verse 12, 
Paul now says, so the gospel is true. He appeared, I saw him. But Paul says to the church, wait, 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 wait. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, question, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? So there were still some in this church that goes, nah, I hear what you're saying. Great stories, great truths. There's some pretty good moral teachings in here, but don't believe that people raised from the dead. How can some of you say that, Paul says. Then in verse 13, he says, but if there is no resurrection from the dead, then not even Christ has been raised from the dead. So if you don't believe this supernaturally happened, then Christ has not been raised from the dead. Look at verse 14. And if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then our what? Preaching is in vain. Paul just said, because we saw him, we preached. Because we saw him, we preached. Because we saw him, we preached. And he says, but if he's not gotten up, your preaching is what? Useless. It's what vanity means, meaningless. Our preaching is in vain. It, goes, it gets worse. And your faith is in vain. If the tomb is not empty, Harvest Church, our faith is meaningless. Do you agree with that? It gets worse. It says, verse 15, if Christ isn't resurrected from the dead, our preaching is in vain. Our faith was in vain. Verse 15 says, we are even found to be misrepresenting God. Anybody want that on their resume? So this is serious. If you're telling me that the, re that the dead aren't raised and Christ isn't raised, vain faith, vain preaching, and you're misrepresenting God. Then look down at verse 17. He gives two yous, a those, and a we. And if Christ has not been raised, here's the you, your faith is futile. It's useless. And you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be what? Pitied. Oh, you guys are meeting again for Easter Sunday. You do the, what'd y'all do for Good Friday? And you get up early and you go to the George's Chapel and then you pack this place in and you sing. Do you really believe that happened? Jamie said it last week, it's 2023. Do you really believe that supernaturally that could happen in a naturalistic world? pity on you church if Christ hadn't been raised from the dead look how Paul answers that look at verse 20 I love Paul's definitive statements but in fact Christ has been raised from the dead amen Paul said, I saw him. He appeared to me. The apostles went and preached the word. There was historical evidence that it happened. So don't tell me Christ hasn't been raised from the dead. Don't have pity on me. Pity on you if you don't believe it. He, he said, it's a fact. He, King James says, indeed, he has been raised from the dead. And it gets better. It says, uh, look at verse 22. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. So big idea number one is the gospel is true. Big idea number two is Christ has been raised from the dead. He has been raised from the dead. And it says one day, those of us who are in Christ, though we die, yet shall we live. That's the cake. Then Paul puts the icing on the cake. He says, as in Adam all die, so shall in Christ shall all be made alive. Then he says, oh, and by the way, what's Jesus doing right now? God is putting everything in subjection under his feet. See, Jamie said on the triumphal entry, he, he, he rode in uh, as a servant on a donkey. Do you know the next time we see him? On a war horse in Rev 19 as the conquering king. And right now, everything is being put underneath his feet. And one day he will turn that kingdom over to God. 
and we will be with him. We cannot die. We will be with him in the forever eternal state. And it says in Revelation that there will be no need for a sun or a moon because the Lamb of God is our lamp. He will light up our eternity. And it says in Revelation 21 and 22, God says, I will be their God and they will be my people because the tomb is empty. Amen? That's our future. But look at the end of this big idea. Look at verse 34. What is the reality of the here and now? Because Christ rose from the dead, because one day I will rise with him, and because one day I will be in his eternal kingdom. Verse 34 says to the church at Corinth and to the church at Harvest and to J.B. Selectman, then wake up from your drunken stupor as is right and do not go on sinning. Whoa. So big idea number one, gospel is true, preach. Main theme number two, Christ did raise. Therefore, let us be a people who are aware of our sin and do not go on sinning. God told the Israelites, you be holy because I, the Lord your God, am what? This is real. And this slapped me in the face over the last couple of weeks. Just what am I dealing with? What am I struggling with? And we all are, right? We all are. But what can we, the other translation says, wake up. and do, It says, uh, be sober-minded. Like, think clearly about the things of God. Because the tomb is empty, what are you struggling with? It was paid for on the cross. Make that your reality. Church. I mentioned earlier, a minute ago, preaching the word. And here, uh, what's really cool is um, we get to put the word in our hearts. You know what Psalm 119 says? Psalm 119 says, I have hidden the word in my heart. Why? That I might not sin against thee. So the key to fleeing te temptation. Jesus was tempted. Did you know before he went to the cross that Satan tempted him three times in the wilderness? And he stood. Do you know how he defeated that temptation? He, he could have defeated Satan any way he wanted to right then and there in the wilderness. How did he defeat him three times? Do you remember what he did? He quoted what? Scripture. If the Son of God quoted Scripture to flee temptation, how much more should we put the word in our hearts that we can flee sin and fight sin and put off the old man and put off the new man? Because the tomb is empty, we should flee temptation by reading and studying and putting the word of God right here in our hearts. Psalm 19 says, the law of the Lord is perfect. The commandments of the Lord are pure. They're sweeter than a honeycomb. They're finer than gold. And that law and those commandments keep me from hidden sins and keep me from presumptuous sins. But the idea is that we know the word of God to keep us eyes on him and eyes off our flesh. Amen? So big idea number one. The tomb, the, the gospel is true. Preach. Big idea number two, Christ has in fact been raised. Therefore, the church needs to wake up and look at his holiness and look at our yuck and put our eyes on him. He begins big idea number three with a question. So two was a question. How can some of you say there is no resurrection from the dead? And idea number three in verse 35 begins with a question. Well, Paul, if Jesus has been raised from the dead and one day will be raised with him, question, how are the dead raised and with what kind of body? Boy, that's a good question. 
Now, I'm going to paraphrase this for the sake of time, but Paul says to the church, to this, to this skeptical question or this rhetorical question, uh, we have an earthly body. Touch, touch your hand right now. Do it. Play, play the game with me. That's your earthly body. That's your flesh. Uh, this is the body we inherited from our great-great-great-great-great-grandfather Adam, your earthly body, Right? But Paul tells the church at Corinth, one day this earthly body that he calls a seed will be put into the ground. And he said, you have an earthly body that is glorious, but one day you will have a heavenly body that is more glorious. How are the dead raised and with what kind of body do they come? You have an earthly body and a heavenly body. And it says there are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind and the glory of the earthly is another There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for stars differ from stars in glory. If you look at creation, the sun, the moon, and the stars, Psalm 19.1 also says, the heavens declare the glory of the Lord and the skies display his handiwork. You look at our bodies. We are created in the image of God. We have the ability to communicate. We have the ability to think. We have the ability to love. We have the ability to, to be married and to raise children. That's glorious, isn't it? But Paul says there's another body that is going to be more glorious. Look at verse 42. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. Your earthly body one day will go into the ground. What is sown perishable is raised imperishable. What is sown in dishonor is raised in glory. What is sown in weakness is raised in power. What is sown a natural body is raised a spiritual body. Amen? Look at verse 48, as was the man of dust, that's Adam, so also those who are of the dust, and as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Listen to the last verse, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Big idea number three, we will have a new body one day. In the meantime, though, let us be his image bearers on earth as we will be in the future. Bear the image of the man of heaven as you are going, church. Uh, Brother Herb, who taught so many of us one time, asked uh, ask a group of us, he was teaching us, and he was talking about the Holy Spirit. And he said, do you realize that Paul, Paul told Timothy he was a vessel? And a vessel, he said, what's the best thing a vessel can give? We're like, we don't know. He said, the best thing a vessel can give is its own emptiness. Because a vessel wants to be filled with something. And he said, do you guys realize you're filled with the Holy Spirit? And no one had ever just told it to me this real. Maybe I'd heard it and was slow to catch up to it. He goes, do you realize that you are a vessel and you contain the Holy Spirit? And we, 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 we got it. We're like, yes, I got it. Never thought about it that way, but yes. Then he said, do you realize now that as a container, a vessel of the Holy Spirit... Everywhere you go, you are bearing his image on earth. So when you enter into your marriage, you are to bear the image of the man of heaven. When you enter into your job, you are to bear the image of the man of heaven. When you enter into your neighborhood or your classroom or your anything, do you realize that you contain the Holy Spirit, church? And do you realize that you are conveying him, the, man, the image of Christ, as you are going in this world? With what kind of body are they raised? Oh, you're going to get a spiritual body one day, an imperishable, a glorious, a powerful body. But in the meantime, bear his image on earth, church. That's what Paul's telling them. 
That's big idea number three. And the last, big idea number four, if you're taking notes, put, we walk in victory. We walk in victory. Pick it up with me in verse 53. We're doing great. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. It's going to happen one day. And Paul says in verse 54, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying. Now I want to stop right here for a minute. Listen to this sentence, Isaiah 25. Death is swallowed up in victory. Like we don't like talking about death. In fact, earlier in this text, it says that death is our enemy. And it looks like when we die, when the kernel goes into the ground, it looks like that death wins. But in 1 Corinthians 15, it says, no, 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 death, it looks like we're swallowed up. Death is actually swallowed up in victory. So the sentence starts with death and it ends in victory. Death is swallowed up with victory because of the empty tomb. Then Paul asked, Isaiah asked death two questions. Oh, death, where is your victory? Question mark. Oh, death, where is your victory? sting question mark and Paul through the Holy Spirit answers Isaiah's questions look at verse 56 the sting of death is sin that's why when you're around someone who is past when you're around someone who is struggling with a disease when you're around someone and we have people like that right now that are literally struggling in the, at the end of their days it stings doesn't it the sting of death is sin. What does that mean? That means we live in a fallen world. Thorns and thistles, stuff happens. It stings. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But church, because the tomb is empty, because he was buried for three days and he walked right out again, but thanks be to God who gives us victory through our, and he calls him all three names here, Lord Jesus Christ. He is Lord he is mighty. He is king. He is Lord. He is Jesus, which means Jehovah saves, God saves, and he is Christ, Christos in Greek, the Messiah. He was appointed in heaven and anointed in heaven to come to earth, to go to the cross, to clean up our mess. That's how I remember what Messiah means, M-E-S-S-I-A-H. He cleaned up our mess. And he didn't stay dead because he was the Lord Jesus Christ and God cannot die. Amen? Victory. We walk in victory. Now, listen to the last verse. This was the verse I was going to preach. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Do you hear it? Because the gospel is true, we preach... Because Christ has been raised from the dead, we wake up and do not go on sinning because we will one day get a new body. We want to bear his image on earth. And number four, because we walk in victory, let us work. See, one of the post-resurrection appearances, God appeared to them. So it was in that 40-day period, Jesus appeared to them and he took the disciples up onto a mountain in Galilee and he said, hey, hey, fellas, all authority... In heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's a big statement. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Then he looked at each one of them and he said, You go therefore and make disciples of all 
nations. See, the event happened, just like my wife going out of town. The event happened, but it had to become a reality to me, and I had to roll up my sleeves and get to work. That's what the empty tomb tells the church of God. He didn't just walk right out again so we could go, yippee, yippee, go Jesus. No, he says, get to work, make disciples, be my witnesses, love your spouse, change the world. Brother Herb says, this is serious. This is cross serious. Those three words there, be steadfast, that's a command. Be steadfast. That means hold, be immovable. King James says unmovable, can't move us. You can't move us. We've seen him. He appeared to us. We know it's true. We cannot lose. Be steadfast, immovable. And then it says always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor. So he says work and labor, but that term always abounding means superabounding excelling, excessive work. Paul would say, I strive for this. I use my energy for this. I labor for this. Do you hear the work terms there? It's as if Paul, and I'll close with this, was telling the church at Corinth, and by way of the Holy Spirit, the church at Harvest, hey church, on your feet. On your feet. Be steadfast, be immovable, get to work, abound in his work. Um, one of my, my, not one of my, my favorite book outside of the Bible, hands down, there's not a, there's a, there's some close seconds, but it is my favorite are the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. And I know some of you love them. Some of you go, oh gosh, here's a C.S. Lewis analogy. <laughs> uh, I love the Chronicles of Narnia. If you've not read them, uh, re- get them Amazon, start reading them tomorrow or whenever they get it to you. Uh, FedEx, excuse me. Um, that was bad. <laughs> my wife was out of town, sorry. Um, but in that in that book, they're children's books, but they're not for children, they're for me. Um, there's, there's a land called Narnia, and there's a, there's a lion that rules Narnia, and his name is Aslan. If you read the book, just say it here, and it just makes you smile. And Aslan is this fierce lion, but he's also gentle as a lamb. Represents Christ being the Lamb of God and the Lion of Judah. And in this, uh, in the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, which is probably my favorite, it's the most famous anyway, uh, uh, Aslan comes to a land, but the land is under um, a curse by the white witch who represents Satan. And the curse is she has frozen the world. It's frozen. And the kid says it's always winter, but it's never Christmas. Like we don't like living here because we're cursed. Well, Aslan comes on the scene and all the prophets say, we think he's here. We think he's here. Aslan is on the move. And as Aslan enters the world of Narnia, the snow begins to melt and the spring begins to happen. Things bloom, ice melts, rivers flow. It's a picture of regeneration that he's reversed the curse. Well, Aslan gets there. And in fact, because of sin, he has to be sacrificed on the stone table. And I don't have time to get into the details uh, if, you, if you've read it, but he is sacrificed. So the, he's the Jesus figure in the book, but he pays the price for a traitor's sin. And the two girls, Lucy and Susan, who represent the disciples come to him as he's dead. And they say, oh, they've killed him. They've killed Aslan. And then something cool happens. They walk away in the, in the coolness of the morning and they hear something behind them and they turn around and there he is, back from the dead. And they say he was more beautiful than we'd ever seen him before. And he said to them something very interesting. He said, now children, we've got some business to do. 
And the first thing he does is put those two girls on his back. And it says he was bounding through the land of Narnia. And you don't know where he's going, but he ends up at the castle of the white witch. And in the castle of the white witch, which represents Satan in his domain, there were some uh, citizens of Narnia that were frozen in her courtyard, frozen solid where she had cursed them. It's a picture of Ephesians 2. You are dead in your sins and trespasses. And Aslan does something interesting. He bounds over her castle. She couldn't keep him out. And he begins to breathe on the stone figures and they begin to come to life. It's a picture of the Holy Spirit giving us regeneration. And he's breathing and they're coming to life and they're coming to life and they're coming to life and they're almost having like a, a resurrected party. But Aslan gets to a giant uh, and Aslan couldn't reach the giant's head, and so he blows on the giant's feet. He breathes on his feet. And the book says his feet started coming to life, and the children looked at Aslan puzzled. And Aslan said, oh, it's okay, little children. Once his feet get set right, the rest of him will follow. And that's what Paul is telling the church at Corinth and the church at Harvest, and the church in South Haven, and the church in Afghanistan, and the church wherever, if you name the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, he's saying, on your feet. Be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Romans 10 says, how beautiful are the feet of those that bring the good news. Amen? Jesus says, oh, I've come out of the grave. I have all authority. I want you to make disciples. I want you to be my ambassadors, my soldiers, my farmers in a world that so desperately needs to know that the gospel is true, that he is indeed risen, that one day if you're in Christ, you will rise again. And in the meantime, church, we got something to do. And I pray that that message propels us into this spring, summer series to think about this week in your home, in your business, in your life. What would God have you to do in the here and now as we wait on the yet future kingdom? Amen? Amen. Let me pray. Father God, it's so good. It's so true. It's so majestic. And it's so real in our lives. Father, we live in a city that needs to know you. We live in a country that needs to know you. We live in a world that needs to know you. You commanded us to make disciples of all nations. There's not a person on earth who does not need to know the truth and the goodness of the reality and the sobriety of the cross, but the glory and the majesty and the hope of the empty tomb. So, Lord, may we be agents of change. May we contain your Holy Spirit. May we con convey you everywhere we go. And, Lord, as we enter into a time of communion, I pray that we would come face to face with our sins and we would not like them, we would not wink at them. But we know that you are a holy God and you covered our sins. The blood covers us. Father God, you sent your Son and his body was broken for us. And we take and we eat and we take and we drink. And Lord God, you told us to remember you. Father, as we have our heads bowed, may we remember the cross. We just preached on it last Sunday. May we really remember it today. You are good, you are holy, you are sacrificial, and you are risen. We thank you. In your name I pray, amen.